Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oh, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 686 of Flow Wrestling Radio Live. I'm your host, Christian Piles. Very, very, very special show today. We got James Dean Raider in his best shirt, but the special guest. The reason you're all here, our guest, our co-host for the day, Chael P. Son. And Chael, you're back. Thank you. I'm fired up. Hey, I got to tell you, I love it when you open the show and just simply say, oh, what's up? But I love that. Pop. I was going to steal that, and I actually did. I felt myself do it once, and I was like, I can't take his gimmick. And it was on accident that I took it anyway. I listen to the show all the time. It seeped into my subconscious, but I, I need to stop. I just like it. It's simple. I don't know where it came from. I would feel awkward if you stopped doing it, though. This is how you start a show. Oh, what's up, everybody? You have to do it, and I love it. Just wanted well, to give you that compliment. Well, I appreciate that. I think that's the first compliment you've you've ever paid me on this show. Normally, it's it's insults, it's arguments, it's it's uh, it's very contentious. Uh, which I don't, you know, I'm not trying to change the tone here, but you know, that's just been that's that's a little bit of our history. So I'm liking this this adjustment. We'll see how if it if it maintains. So you're starting in on me, pile. I knew this was coming. I knew this was going to go one way or the other. I thought we were going to go the other way with it. But see, I know what you're doing. I know the way you're twisting and revving me up. I'm ready for you. It's 6 a.m. This is my second coffee. I'm on a high. If you got it, buddy, bring it. <laughs> Nothing to bring. I'm excited to talk because I want to get caught up a little bit because a couple weeks ago we had an incredible Olympic performance. I, I just, I just want to kind of give you the floor, your thoughts on – Team USA's incredible showing at the Olympic Games. And do you feel that inside? See, I feel that. And there's a lot of people that get so competitive. You know, maybe their guy or their wrestler didn't get a go, or maybe they are that guy and they didn't get a go. And they don't they don't feel about the USA. I mean, I, I was I'm so proud and happy for David Taylor, but I'm happy and proud for myself. I feel that I feel he went and did that for us. He went and did it for the country. Where should we begin? I mean, let's start with maybe with Gilman. 
And the mm-hmm. fact that he lost to the Russian with two seconds left in a move that the Russian made up on the spot. And I have, I've got to give him credit for that. I think that Thomas Gilman could stall out anybody. I feel Thomas Gilman could stall out Gabe Stevenson with that position. He's got ultimate control. He's got the head and the arm. He's got the leg. What he did not do is extend. The rule is you extend that. You can even, and this wouldn't be your first choice. Your first choice is extend. You can even roll like you're going to try to take him through, but don't. So where Gilman is rolling towards Gilman's side, not driving to the opponent. There's a number of things he could do. He knows all of these things that will keep him up for the rest of his life. But I felt so bad for him. I was impressed with the Russian who, by the way, went on in his very next match, which I think represented the quarterfinals. He did it again. He did it to that guy as well. There's only a few seconds left. And I appreciate the score. I see lots of guys score. It's very honorable. I maintain for you the guy made it up on the spot. That is not a move that you're ever in in practice. That is not a move that a coach shows you. All right, if you end up here, block the knee and sit back. He he just had a natural feel for wrestling. He played enough. He scrambled enough. He learned enough. I was so impressed with him that he did it. And then Gilman coming back. And not to mention, Gilman had one thing on his side, which is an attitude. He has had that and brought that with him all year. He showed up to the trials against Joe Cologne with an attitude. He, he stepped on the mat like he was happy to be there. He was looking forward to the battle. He was not nervous. He was not there to protect something. He was there not there not to lose. He, he went out to perform. At least that was my interpretation. Like when I look at him and look at his body language before the match, there's some guys where you just go, he's going to win. I can remember Kendall Cross back in 1996, but you watched him wrestle his first match at the games. You go, okay, he's going to win. There's just some guys like that there. I never had a doubt that Gilman was going to come back for bronze and he had to do some heavy lifting. And that's before the even bracket unfold. I didn't know who was going to come through the rep shot or who was going to lose in the semifinals, but I knew it. I knew he was going to get the bronze. He just had that look. And to have that look is one thing to have that look, even in defeat, where you don't get down about that, you man up. I, it's very honorable. Dake gets credit for that. Yeah. I mean, Dake, something's going on with Dake. We'll probably never know. He doesn't seem like the excuse-making type, but something is wrong with Dake. I suspect it was a rib injury. I suspect he had a pull or something somewhere. There were certain positions where he's usually strong that he wasn't strong, and that lack of strength can only come from if you have an injury. But for him to come back, not to mention having to beat a rival in Chimizo, not to mention a two-time world champion in Chimizo, just to get bronze and Dayton had only beat him. He stopped him from scoring. That was five, nothing. The two-time world champion couldn't even get a point. Those things are honorable. You look at what, what uh, David Taylor went through, but to find a way to win a match, you know, with only seconds left. And I've rewatched that takedown. He got on Yazdani. I've rewatched that 50 times guys. And it's as though Yazdani's heel get stuck in the mat did you guys happen to notice that like when he went to sprawl and he did go to sprawl he could one leg stayed in place do you know what i'm talking about i know what you're talking about i didn't notice the the heel specifically but it just seemed like he caught him completely off balance like the pull snap and then when he drove through he was just not in a position to to fire his legs back there was a good picture where you could literally see where he has donnie got caught on his heels i'm gonna see if i can find it yeah and I don't contend for you that the mat came up and grabbed it, but it was like it did. And maybe it was just a setup, but it, it was like it did. Yastani's legs moved in a weird way. His hips did everything right. His hands came to everything looked right for those legs to kick back, but one of them stayed behind as though, as though the ground came up and, and grabbed him. And Taylor put him down and Taylor knew he wanted. I mean, I don't know if there was anyone that wanted to be Olympic champion more than David Taylor, like what that meant to him. And and he even talked about it. I, for the rest of my life, they'll never say former world champion or former NCAA champion. They will say Olympic champion. That was a big deal to him. And he's right. 
we will never refer to him again as anything other than Olympic champion. And whatever drives a guy, you know, people get motivated by different things. And these athletes are extremely unique because it is not fame. It is not money. It is the most honorable sport there is because of that. And for David Taylor to reach that goal, man, I'm still on a high from it. I, I loved it. Schneider gets a ton of credit, too. Yeah. Schneider goes into the category of the greatest of all time. You know, I know that that argument, at least with Americans, always goes to John Smith, and you hear about the six, and you hear about the six in a row. I still also believe that it's John Smith. But if you look at what Snyder did and the attitude that he does it with, and I get very turned off by any uh, Olympian who meddles and then gets on the stand hanging their head and letting the world know they wish they would have done better, man. If you meddled at the Olympics, it, it's such a tremendous honor. And the way that Kyle went out and did it, and he tried to beat Sag alive. I mean, he came after him. He tried to beat him. He got stuck under him. And we're probably going to get that match. From what I'm told with the Russians, they're sending their full squad. We're probably going to get that match again this year, yeah. which is exciting. If you're a wrestling fan, man, that's exciting. It's a great uh, – I remember – I think my first time I interviewed you, you said it's a great time to be a wrestling fan. There's never been a better. And I feel I feel that that has just continued. And this year, what a great year to have the Olympics and a 10-weight world championships. And I, I kind of echo your sentiment just about the the shared victory when, when an American has success in wrestling. I don't know what, what it is or why I feel a part of it, too, even though I had nothing to do with any aspect of it. It's just like every time I've watched the Olympics, it just feels like a little – just a different sort of sentiment when you see it happen. And then, you know, knowing these guys and knowing their stories of, of coming up through and, you know, the, the idea of David Taylor winning the Olympics in, in 2014, 15, 16, that seemed like a real long shot, right? Which is crazy to think about. And then he came in a, a huge favorite this year and gets it done. Um, and yeah, Snyder, when you think about what he's accomplished at his age, how many teams, how many medals, how many golds, He's he's got accomplished all this before uh, at, at a younger age than Kyle Dake and David Taylor were even making teams. Sure. So you think about how much longer he's got in the sport. Um, he, he's he's going to enter the conversation for sure of, of all time, all time, no no doubt. Snyder just, was world and Olympic champion with a year of collegiate eligibility yeah. left. I mean that is insane. Schneider officially, this is official. People will talk about uh, uh, Schultz versus Bannock is the greatest NCAA match. Look. Numbers don't lie. ESPN covers this thing. The biggest, most watched wrestling match in the history of the world is Kyle Snyder versus Nick Giswowski. And that's a big deal for both those guys, man. That's an incredible record. You want to talk about the medals and, and the championship and the Hodge trophies? That's an incredible record to have the most highest rated wrestling match of all time. It's remarkable, man. Schneider should be so proud of himself. And I haven't even mentioned Gable yet, guys, but that was on purpose. I told you before this, I thought Gable was going to win the goal. Yeah, big, big surprise. I know a lot of us did. But I told you I thought he would win it even on accident. Even Gable not wrestling up to par could win the Olympic championship. And then you look at the way he did it. That finals match wasn't all that close. As fun and dramatic as that was, you take those gut wrenches away, which is one position. You're taking a college kid who doesn't spend a lot of time there. He should have given up some points. He ends up giving four points. It was a six-point exchange. You take that one uh, eight-second block out of the match, it was a massacre, just like he did uh, to a cool. I mean, you got the Olympic yeah. champion can't score a point. On a college kid, it's remarkable what Gable did, who's nowhere near his prime. We're probably never going to see him again. This is probably the best Gable we're going to see, but he is not even near his prime as a human. Can we agree to that? 
Yeah, I, no question about it. Because look look at the arc he had in the last year and change. From 2019, he couldn't beat Gwiz to get on the team to, you know, dominating Gwiz and winning the Olympics. And, yeah, he's 20, what, 21 or so? Um, 21. This is, this is we're not even close to, and you know, a combat athlete. Who knows when they, they hit their their full full on prime. But, yeah, I do think we'll see him on the wrestling mat again. I think he's going to wrestle for Minnesota. I've been saying that. Pretty consistently since the trials, I still believe that. Now, will he wrestle World and Olympic competition again? I don't know. But I do think we'll see him wrestle collegiately, which to some might not make sense, but I that's just my prediction. Minnesota currently believes that. As of right now, and I don't know that they believe that as recently as two weeks ago, but as of right this moment, Minnesota does think that Gable's going to be uh, suited up this year, so... I think I've that's been, pretty good inside info. I mean, if Brandon Agum thinks his own guy is going to be on the team and he's starting to uh, put his team and his places together, and he's saying as of right now, he, I don't know, two weeks ago, I don't know, right now Agum believes that Gable's going to wrestle. So I think, Pyle, I think you're onto something. Boom. I've been living vicariously through Gable for the past couple weeks. He is living it up he's, and doing everything we all want to do. He's at SummerSlam. He's in Vegas. He's doing, you know, flirting with the he's UFC. He's getting wine and dine and enjoying every minute of and it. Doing the WWE sure. thing. What Do you have any inclination? What What's the uh, direction he's going to go? Obviously, UFC, WWE are the avenues, but does, do you think there's an order? Do you think it's simultaneous? No, guys, I thought this was done. Again, everything has changed now that, that, that the team at Minnesota believes that Gable's going to be their heavyweight. I think we all thought, I'll speak for myself, he was going WWE. I thought that was done. I thought that whole thing was done. And I, I even knew details of the contract. Uh, come to WWE, here's your deal. Get a medal, it escalates to this. Get a gold medal, it escalates to that. I thought he'd already signed. I'm wrong about that. And I know they're throwing an arm around him. It, it looks like it's his choice right now. And it looks like he's, you know, kind of saying I that degree is more important, I think, than the wrestling. But I think he wants to finish that out, which there's a real honor in that. I don't know that I would judge him either way, but I would prefer that a, a young man finished up his degree. And it looks like that's what he's going to do. What would you do if you were in his shoes? I'd go. I'd be gone. And, <laughs> um, yeah, I'd go take the money. Um, that degree is important though and WWE does have a way and I think we've all seen it particularly in this last year but there's a way to do things without actually being on campus there's a way to do both together even the Olympic Training Center is very good about that when they bring a young uh, person over who decides they're going to go into the international styles the, the training center requires that they are still pursuing school and x amount of hours so there's ways to do both but I did think Gable would be gone and guys you do have to understand what he's getting into. You're talking about he's not going to go do World and Olympic competition. Yes, he is, Pyle. It's just going to be under the NCAA banner. Mm -hmm. When you have a world champion like Mason mm -hmm. Parrish you got to deal with, when you have a world medalist like Colton Schultz you have to deal with, I mean, it, there's nothing harder than heavyweight NCAA right now. Cable had an easier time winning the Olympic gold medal. Aside from those two gut wrenches, he had an easier time winning that gold medal than he did the NCAA championship. Well, yeah, that, that is a consideration because Mason Paris, I think, is, is unquestionably world level. He pinned Zare, who is an Olympic bronze medalist. He's won junior worlds. The the Michigan program is really bullish about Mason and his prospects to make this team in September and what he's going to be able to do in October at Worlds. And, yeah, I think most years in heavyweight, it's a foregone conclusion. I think any any weight that Gable enters probably is that. But, man, 
Mason Paris is, is a tough, tough dude, and he's a guy who athletically, from a strength perspective, has some really unique gifts that most, most heavyweights don't possess. But then again, it's Gable, and it's just a completely, completely different breed. Um, you talked, you're talking about heavyweight, but you said the match you're most excited about, you're most interested in, Braxton Amos versus AJ Ferrari, Mr. Fast Twitch. Talk about this match. Why is it the number one match for you? Dude, every year there's a match, right? I mean, whether it was Perry and Howe comes to mind, or you, we, we all had to look forward to Dake versus Taylor when that was going to come around. Or, of course, the big one with the heavyweights when on New Year's Day, Ohio mm-hmm. State announces Kyle Snyder's coming out of redshirt, take on Quiz. But this is the match. I mean, you got AJ Ferrari, who is must-see TV. He's, you know, who's the most popular guy? Well, it's between Gable and AJ. We thought that. Uh, Gable was going to be gone. We thought it would only be AJ. So you've got you've got this huge star that everybody in the wrestling world wants to see that isn't likely to ever lose again. Well, not so fast. When you you got a national champion who's now going to have to take on a world champion, and it's very fascinating. Not to mention, not only is uh, Amos the world champion, but then he ends up with the bronze medal. I can't remember a year pile, and you know I'm pretty good at this, but I can't remember a year that we had somebody get uh, medals in both styles. He was kind of favored to win double gold after he grabbed freestyle. Greco being his uh, preferred style, it was almost a little bit of a surprise. And then the one thing with Amos is, can he hold up? You know, if this was a young guy, and we do see these, they come in and they got a bunch of tricks. Uh, Anthony Valencia would come to mind where you're a young guy, you got a bunch of tricks, but once you study him and break him down, it's going to be a little bit harder to score those points. That's not the deal with Amos, man. He's gritty. He's tough. He, he, he weaponizes pace. I think you're going to have to weaponize pace to beat Ferrari. I think that Ferrari goes a very, very hard match. It seems like everywhere you look, man, these guys, they check a lot of boxes. I asked Amos about Ferrari one time. I've only met Amos once in my life, but I asked him that question. I go, hey, so have you ever wrestled Ferrari? Kids wrestling or cadets or in a training camp, a practice room? And he said, no, I've never touched him, uh, but it'll be a fun match. That was all he said. But it, it was all I needed to hear. He knew. He knew what the radar was. He knew what the landscape was. He knew that this collision course was coming. The only difference now is he's got a world title he's bringing to the mat. Yeah, I mean, and can imagine wh- where wrestling is and the idea that uh, someone who's never even wrestled a collegiate match, Braxton, to be, for this magnitude of a match to be the one, the number one match, I think, in a lot of people's minds. That's a really exciting thing. We haven't even seen this guy put on a Wisconsin singlet yet, and we're all we're talking about is this potential matchup. That's how good Braxton Amos is, and that's the reputation that AJ Ferrari has that he's such a good, you know, a formidable champion. And that's not to mention Rocky Elam is going to be in this weight class too. He's a world champion too, Chael. So we're gonna have two world champs plus AJ Ferrari all at 197, in addition to the other guys that are gonna be coming back. Sure. No, I love that. I mean, that's what's really good about wrestling. And we're kind of our piggybacking on the heavyweight class. You take Gable out of that. I I wouldn't be stunned if if Stay Mason beats the team. He beats Gwiz. He beats Bradley. He goes and makes the team. I would predict and expect even that Mason would bring a medal home from the world championships. If Gwiz is the one that gets out of the country, I would expect that Gwiz, who's used to bringing medals home, is going to. I I mean, the U.S. is so deep right now, and we we can't say that historically, particularly at heavyweight. And I go all the way back to the Baumgartner days. Bruce was great, but Bruce dominated for, I think it was 13 years, mm-hmm. and there was no close second. There was nobody that could slip 
in and get him until he finally left on his own. Then you had the Tom Ericans and uh, Tolly Thompson had his turn, but then Stephen Neal and the McCoy era started. So w- when you have heavyweight as deep as it is, when we're talking about it, we haven't even mentioned Caspioli. We haven't mentioned my favorite heavyweight, which is Kirklovic. I-, I really like watching him wrestle the most. I think he moves the best of those guys. I would like to see him healthy, but that class is so incredibly impressive right now and and you kind of have a gable problem like what are you going to do if gable enters the weight if he's on your side you're going for third if he's on the opposite side you have the hopes of getting the finals like gable is one of these unstoppable forces and guys he's not done he's not he got so strong in the last year to watch those gains he made from you know when he's getting losing to cesar to then going on and winning the Olympics. But there was some physical transformations. You know, he really dedicated. As big as he was, he wanted to get bigger. As strong as he was, he wanted to get stronger. That's what Gwiz is doing right now, fellas. You, you want to know what, what changes Gwiz plans to make? Gwiz learned that from Gable. And Gwiz goes, I'm putting on 20 pounds, good weight, all muscle. I'm copying him. Everything that he did and came to flip the script on me, I'm going to do. You picture Gwiz, all of a sudden he's 290 and he, he's pretty ripped. I mean, you have a very different physiology on a guy that's already got a couple of medals. I'm not I'm not out of the Gwiz business yet. Is, is, okay. And I acknowledge that Mason's fantastic, but I am not selling my Gwiz stock. I, too, would like to put on 20 pounds of pure muscle. I think that sounds like a great idea. Imagine how hard you'd have to work, though, right? I mean, it's just calories in versus calories out. Then you got good weight. Then you got the lifts. Think about how hard a Division One athlete has to train. It's hard to get ahead on your calorie count. When you're doing two practices a day, I mean, the discipline that it would have took for Gable to do that, and he did it. And now Gwiz is trying to do the same thing. But, you know, Gwiz is having to get up extra early. He's doing different things with his breakfast. He's having to stay up extra late and doing different things with his with fourth meal, if you will, to get those calories in. But it's a major commitment, guys. Gaining weight is just as difficult as losing it. No no question about that. Um, so were, were you able to... By the way, uh, Pyle, am I looking a little pasty or do you have like a really good tan going? I mean, I, I got to tell you, you look fantastic. But do I need to get in the sunshine? I, I think, you know, you we have a different climate a bit, situation. I? I didn't you know? realize it till now. Yeah, get, get outside a little bit, you know. Um, it's it's maybe a little tougher in West. A little West cloudy, Island. little rainy in Oregon from what yeah, I hear. Yeah, we, we got a lot of sunshine here. I'm outside a lot, playing a lot of baseball, you know. So just, just get in the great outdoors. It's good for you. Baseball. Baseball. You, say, you, great, you joined a neighborhood league or you're playing with your little guy? <laughs> I want to start a softball. I want to join a softball and hit you, you just want to wear weird shirts for softball games, JD. That's your whole thing. No, so my my son is obsessed with baseball and wrestling. So when he comes home, it's like a it's like a scene. He's just sitting there waiting with his glove to go outside and play. So play sure. play a lot of baseball. Um, I love wrestling too, man. But it's it's hard, you know. I think about this as a parent, and I'm a coach now too. But I think about it a lot. But probably every day when I go to bed, I'll think about it. Am I serving my son? well to push him into wrestling the sport that i love because i don't remember the good moments i only remember the bad and i wish my mind didn't work that way but even as you watch the olympics and you watch some of the heartaches of those guys or if i look at the year and i look what jordan oliver went through which is just an absolute sports travesty yeah what he went through and i don't even see anybody fighting for us guys we we were so happy in 2016 when they decided okay uh, uh, wrestling won't be pulled from the olympics that we just kept our mouth shut uww should be fighting to get back to a two and three day event for one i mean they've cannibalized us in every direction including how many days we even get to contest this they should be fighting for that they should be fighting for 12 weight classes they should be fighting for all of these different recognitions and they're not it's like they were just happy 
to get along to go along. That's not right. We don't get to have Jordan Oliver. That's not right. And there used to even be a good old day where there was somebody that you could bribe and you you, you could get a guy <laughs> slipped through. You know, we don't even have corruption anymore, which is very sad. And or, or you look at what heavyweight would happen with Kuhn. I don't agree with that. You bring a medal to your country in the last quadrennium, you were qualified for the games. And what I'm saying right there makes perfect sense. I don't see anybody speaking up for Adam. I don't see anybody speaking up for Jordan. I don't see any changes going to come. And I love the state of wrestling. I love where we are at, but we have got to start fighting back. We cannot just be happy to have, you know, six weights contested every four years. It's not enough. And that's a one, one fault I do give our leadership because I think this new guy has done a really, really good job. But he's not greedy. He's not looking for more. He's not looking for expansion. And he should be on a daily. But 24 guys get to go to the Olympic. Come on, man. Why couldn't there be 50? Fargo pulls it off. The Olympics can't. Come on. I, I don't disagree. And I, I, would, I would push back a little that they're not fighting for the extra weights. I think there's just when you the, the problem is it's is the IOC. It's not UWW. It's, it's an organization. They don't care. Right. So how do you how do you all, their, their main thing is the equity and this and that. And I think I, I honestly wonder how much Greco putting us sort of out of alignment with gender equity in the IOC's eyes. How much does that hurt our ability to add weights? I don't know. I'm not I'm not trying to cancel Greco here, but th- those, those are the things that they're thinking about. They're not thinking about what's best for wrestling, not at the IOC level. Now, we have a good advocate there with Nanad that he's he's on that executive board, but. I think these things take a little bit of time. I'm encouraged. What what I think, what can they control? They can control what they do, the UWW. So they have a 10-weight world championships every single year. I think that's big. I think that's progress, right? So while I think it stinks, there's I lo- well, one, I'll also push back that I like the 16-weight bracket. I like that it's a little more exclusive to get in. Um, is the method to qualifying a little wonky? Yeah, maybe so. But... I, and I also like that it's I, – I disagree about, you know, oh, you won a medal in some year so you get in. No, it's like what, how are you wrestling right now? If we're going to ensure that the field's going to be the best of the best, I like the idea that, okay, prove it this year. Prove it that you can not only win it, represent your country, but you can go win this qualifier. The right now thing I, is tough for me. I, it really is. I mean, you're guaranteed in based on the medal count at the last world championships. But now you're not talking about how are you doing this year. You're talking about how about how did you do this day, not to mention all the yeah. things that go into each country sending a representative. And American fans can only represent what we do here in America. We have an actual trials. We honor that process. But country, uh, Russia, by example, just does a nationals and then the nationals go. But Russia also has a rule that they can send whoever they want. They do honor their national championship, but they don't have to by their own bylaws. You could have a guy that didn't internationals or he got upset and Russia could pull him and stick somebody else in. And while that gets talked about a lot, you could find it, but you got to go back about 15 years just to find one example, but it is still a little bit uh, different. I do think the last quad is very relevant, but I don't, I don't want, that's not the hill I want to die in. I don't agree with 24 guys get to go in the first place. I just don't think it's enough opportunity. And I really don't think a guy like, uh, uh, Jordan Oliver should should be carved out. Not all weights are created the same. 145 and a half pounds year in and year out is consistently 
the absolute best weight class with the absolute best wrestlers. I think there should be a little bit of recognition there. We do that within the States, within conferences, not all weight classes going to send three guys. Some conferences, this weight class gets to send six guys. Mm -hmm. There seems to be something to talk about. At least there seems to be some kind of opportunity at a minimum. And I just, and that's the word that I go to. And that is the, the coach in me more than anything is opportunity. And I think that we need to spread it around. Wrestling is the only sport in the world pile where if it only form, of combat where if you have a title it's not on the line if you are a world champion in anything every single time you step in the ring that's up for grabs and it should be the same way with the world championship it should be the same way with olympic championship we should take the power away from those crooks at the ioc which is exactly what they they are and every time an olympic champion gets on the mat that thing's up for grabs that should be moving around not just once every four years yeah i don't that's I, I understand that perspective as well. Doing uh, that and pulling that off, I, I see the problem with it, right? It's the Olympics. How do you do that when the guy brings the medal? I understand that, but it's us as a community. It's whatever we recognize. We happen to recognize the Olympics as a big deal. Now you have a guy like David Taylor who feeds off of that and will always be known as an Olympic champion. So we make the rules as a community. What is it we're going to look at? What is it we're going to honor? We've chosen to show a appreciation to Tbilisi or the Uregan, but that's us as a community. We should also band together. That's a moving target, man. You don't get to go hide on an Olympic championship. Maybe you don't ever defend it, or maybe you defend it again in four years. It's not that way in any other form of combat. Whatever you've done, you bring to the table, all the chips are in. Yes, I think I think that is one of the big obstacles with international wrestling is the rarity in which you see these guys put it on the line outside of the, the major major champion. I mean, seeing Sajalayev wrestle is like, a, is like a Bigfoot sighting in wrestling. I mean, he wrestles at Nationals sometimes. He wrestles at Continentals sometimes. He wrestles at World and Olympics. Like, you can't have LeBron James or whoever, whatever ever prominent basketball player you want to use, r- play twice a year. But in wrestling, you can have this uh, an elite athlete, but you can't see him that much. And not to mention the fact that they're wrestling at odd hours because international tournaments. So the American market is not exposed to this guy quite as much. And that's that's an example of which there are many. Sure. I agree with you. I don't get it. I don't know why he'd want to commit his life and set it aside and then not go do it. I don't know why his parents or grandparents or coaches would like that. I mean, I just can't personally relate to that. It seems as though you would want to go out there and compete. I can tell you, I couldn't get any parents to bring their their kids to my club if I didn't go to a tournament every single weekend. This guy's Mm -hmm. going to one or two a year. I don't get it. And frankly, as good as Sagalive is, he doesn't move the goddamn needle. We know who he is, but nobody outside of watching this show right now even knows what a Sagalive is, let alone that that's a wrestler or a person or a Russian uh, from Dagestan, I mean, I would just share with you, Karelin was at least a little bit different. Karelin could sell out arenas. They held a Karelin Cup in Siberia, negative 18 degrees. They not only packed the place, people were outside with their kids standing on their shoulders looking through windows. I mean, Karelin moved the cup. Sajalayev can't even sell a ticket. So then for him to have, you know, this kind of audacious, I'm not going to come out, then don't, Sajalayev, just shove it up your ass. No, it's, what's the difference? Whether he ever wrestles again or not, what's the difference? We don't need him. I mean, in all fairness, we don't need him. He comes out, he chest wraps some guy. I mean, so what? Your your skills suck, for one. I don't know why people can't stop your gut wrench, because your gut wrench sucks. Your offense is limited. You're never in shape. And for, for a Russian, he doesn't even respect his career enough to stick a needle in his ass every now and then. I mean, he's a little bit unique in that regard. I don't know why we need him or what we even have him for. We only keep him around so that Schneider has somebody to beat and we can all look forward to it. Sajalayev could leave today. The state of wrestling doesn't change. And quite frankly, he should. 
And anybody that gets gut wrenched by that bum should have to quit with him because his gut wrench sucks. So the obvious follow up question there is could he gut wrench you? No. Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. And I would give him his lock. You would give him the lock. No way you're going. Not a chance. But I don't lay down on my belly like these other fools either. I mean, that's another concept in wrestling that came around in the 1970s and nobody in wrestling has ever looked at. But, you know, everything else in this sport changes. Maybe we should change that. There's no reason to lay on your belly. Let me tell you why you go to your belly in parterre. You go to your belly to stop the guy from getting his lock. If you're flat to the mat, he can't get his arms around. You know, every single guy worth a goddamn within three seconds will have his lock. He's going to come under your chin. He's going to pull you up. He's going to slide his hand underneath. Everybody gets their lock, but that's why you go flat in the first place is to perturb that. So once those three seconds are up and once he has his hands locked, drive back to your base. You drive back to your knees from that position. You do not need to be flat. It will throw the top guy off. The top guy in train is, okay, I got to pull him. I've got to get my knee. I've got to execute. Pull back in the first place. He'll never get his knee underneath you. There's all sorts of defenses to the government. In all fairness, I know I joke around with you. And yes, of course, Sagilai would, would, would turn old Chael over. But not because of his technique. And I can't believe these guys that I see laying down there. The only reason you go flat in a air position is to try to prevent the lock from happening. Everybody gets their lock. So once those three seconds are gone, he's got his hands locked. Push back to your base. Quit laying down there. And if you do lay down there, for God's sakes, toughen up. When's the last time you saw a guy get his rib broke? Oh, he squeezed me so tight and I couldn't breathe. Well, then you couldn't breathe. Toughen up. Amen. They all turn over. It's not a positional it's issue. File. If this camera was longer, I'd bring Vince over and show you what I mean. I'm not trying to do shtick right now. I know that gets hard with me. When's jail performing? When's he not? I'm very serious on this right now. Nobody ever gets their rib broke, but you try to get a guy's rib. You try to catch the floating rib. There's ways to turn the ribs and make it more uncomfortable on the guy. Nobody ever gets their ribs broke. They don't get them broke because they're not tough. And they roll over. They all end up rolling. You don't have to go over. You've got to tough that out. And you can change the position to take all pressure off the ribs and the floating rib and change the position of the gut wrench, which will not work if he can't get his opposing knee underneath your hips in the V to pop in the first place. You take that all away if you push back. How many ribs did you break back in your day defending gut wrenches? None. Honestly, none. And it was a very painful position, but I, I, I still didn't. You know, it's one of those things. Nobody breaks their ribs. You put pressure on a guy, you squeeze him, and he just shouldn't go over. Yeah. You you mentioned your 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 point about Sagilai. If he went away, wrestling would be fine. Who's kind of the in the opposite sort of perspective in wrestling? Like, if this guy – who's the real needle mover in your eyes in, in the sport of wrestling? Well, you know what? You want to know who's going to be a massive star is Gable, and I'm just not positive we're going to see him back there. He's already passed up on the world championships. But now we're hearing good news that he's going to do the NCAA. And by the way, I like that. If you're in college and you're being paid to go, which is in the form of a scholarship, you should not be missing matches. And as honorable as it is when some of these other guys parlayed and did both, and as much as we all enjoyed it as wrestling fans, if one is paying you and you have a deal, you should be at those dual meets. If Minnesota is selling tickets, and Minnesota is one of the few programs that sells a lot of tickets, they do mm -hmm. a great job, particularly with Border Brawl, which has sold out a couple of times in the last few years, 9,600 uh, people, 9,800 people. You should put your team on the mat. So if Gable is is uh, not doing the freestyle season, not because he loves WWE or he got bought away, but because he's honoring the agreement that he made with the Gophers, man, that's really cool, and that story should be told, and it should be told that way. I think, I think you should always put your team on the mat. I mean, it's another resentment I have towards Russia and Sajalayev. As much as I'm giving him a hard time, 
he's a really good wrestler and a lot of people want to see him. And if there's a duel coming to town and, and you know, my son asked me, Hey, will you take me out? Sajalayev's going to wrestle. And I get there and I get us in the seats and Sajalayev's on the bench, but it's not right. You should always bring your team. You should always put your team on the mat or turn it down in the first place. That happened one time, by the way, this happened between the Smith brothers who do not argue, at least not publicly, but we got into a situation where it was a bracket room, Arizona state and Oklahoma state were there. And there was somebody from Oklahoma state uh, that wanted to wrestle the Arizona state guy. And I, I believe it was, um, we, you and I spoke about him. He now runs a very Larkin, Eric Larkin runs a very successful club, but he didn't he didn't come. Arizona State didn't bring him. And John turned to Leroy in the seating meeting and said, you said you'd bring your team. That was all he said. And Leroy looked at him and everybody else looked up and John stopped. He didn't finish the thought. He didn't go any further. But John's right. If you show there's a Rita tournament of champions, 1999, if you say you're going to bring your team, bring your team. Yeah. And that is a common frustration that a lot of wrestling fans have about NCAA wrestling, NCAA dual meets. You get all hyped up for this event all the stage is set and then this guy sits out or this guy doesn't wrestle and and not only do they not wrestle no one that they play along with the hype and then they they pull the rug out last second and okay they're sending out a backup for that i mean i i think that is a big obstacle in that prohibits wrestling's growth do you understand why you don't lay on your mat in parterre? I mean, it, it just makes one of these senses. If you do that in the UFC, just by example, the referee will stop the fight. You were doing nothing. You were laying flat. You, your, your, your chin, your knees, and your dick are all on the mat. It's not a good thing to do. If you go and do that in collegiate, they'll call you for stalling. But in freestyle and Greco, these coaches are still telling people to lay the and move this, and then you move this, and you feel it, and you move it. You don't ever lay on your belly. The only reason to go to your belly is to prevent the lock of which everybody gets. Everybody gets their lock. There's never been a time or an example that either one of you could bring forward. And I don't give a damn if it was kids wrestling. You could not tell me one time you saw somebody drop from parterre position, prevent the top guy from getting his lock, and the referee blew the whistle 15 seconds later. Everybody gets their lock. So, therefore, there's really never a reason to go to your belly ever. Ever, ever, ever. Not to mention defensively, it sucks. If you push back, if your hands are straight and you push all the way back on your haunches, so your butt's to your heel and you stay right there, he will not leg lace you, he will not bow and arrow you, he will not turk you, and he won't gut-wrench you. He won't even try. You'll have him perplexed. I realize over time they'll they'll defend the defense. I'm talking about right now. If you were to wrestle from that position, push back, the top guy wouldn't even know what to do. He's never drilled it. He's never seen it. He's never watched somebody else do it. We'll throw him off completely. You don't have to worry about the lock. Everybody gets their lock. Not only do they get it, they get it within three seconds. You come into the chin, you pull the guy up, you slide your hand under. This isn't rocket science. It's a goddamn lock in a wrestling match. If USA Wrestling offered you the position of executive director of parterre defense, would you accept it? I, I would, but I would come in heavy on day one, and I would just explain to the group, there is nothing good that can happen when your chin, knees, and dick are all on the mat at the same time. Okay, Those three points can't all be down. You have to get them up. In collegiate, it's stalling. In combat, the fight is over. It's a TKO. In freestyle and Greco, they go there on purpose. It is one of the few positions, if not the only position, that happens in 2021 that also happened in 1971. We have redone the sport. We've re-looked at it. We're not even coming high up in the crotch. A high crotch is now to, to the knee. It's a head to the outside single. Wrestling calls it a high crotch, but mm -hmm. you, you get the point. The whole sport has changed, except that position. 
And people don't seem to understand why. They also want to talk about every time the Olympics is over, the number one scoring technique in both freestyle and Greco-Roman was a gut wrench. Well, maybe we should look at how we're defending the gut wrenches. Maybe it's not some masterful and great move to start with. Maybe universally our defense sucks. And it starts with the position where you're telling the guy to go flat on his belly. And at this point, what do you have to lose? First off, I'm completely right. But let's just say I'm not. You wanted to disagree with it. What do you have to lose? It's the number one scoring technique in the world. Because everybody defends it the same. Start defending it differently. Basic logic is all I'm suggesting for you. It's basic logic. It's the next evolution for the human species. I think we'll get there. Um, I believe. I believe. Uh, have you seen some of these entries for, for the World Team Trials? Have you paid any attention to this? Seen the 79 kilogram? We got Burroughs, Ringer, Imar, Nolf, Starachi. Downey's apparently entered. McFadden, Wick, Hayden Hydley. Uh, have, have you seen this? Yes. Yes, I'm following it very closely. I okay. love it. I love the trials. I like the trials even more than the games, even though, you know, I'm a proud American and all those things. The trials, I mean, every time I'm sitting around discussing wrestling with friends, we're not talking about Azerbaijan or the Ukrainian. We're talking about the Americans. Well, what would happen if this guy wrestled this guy? It is the, the trials is the ultimate tournament for a wrestling fan, even more than the NCAAs. Every dream match you could think of happens, and it happens 30 minutes after it just happened previously. The trials is the best, and yes, I'm following them. All right. Are you excited to see Burroughs up uh, at 79 in a different yes. way? Plus, I just respect Burroughs so much. What he went through in this last year, showing up to the training camps, doing what he could to help Kyle Dake. Not to mention Burroughs was a fantastic announcer. He and John Smith made an incredible team. But Burroughs was even doing what they call studio work, where he's not live. Matt side, he's not calling the actual action. He's got to set the stage, and he's got to build it. First off, he's a very handsome guy, but he's very well-spoken. His temperament is on point. He can also empathize. Uh, he can bring for the audience what the emotion of victory or what the emotion of defeat. Uh, he can personalize these things. I thought I just thought Burroughs was top-notch. But, yes, him moving up to 79, him pursuing a goal, particularly in light of the fact that he's now got a new training environment and partners and coaches, I'm very curious. That's a hard weight class, man. That's a very hard weight class. Completely agree. I think it's good. It's, you know, it's the first time he's ever wrestled in the World Team Trials bracket. He's never had to do that before. He's always, he's always been sitting out for one reason or another, winning the, uh, winning a medal or winning the, the U.S. Open. Nope. Um, I like Ringer in that way, by the way. I mean, Ringer's very interesting. I wasn't sure if he was going to stick around and keep wrestling. We always see major turnover after the Olympics. I haven't really seen it this year. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know anybody that stepped aside or anybody that retired that was of consequence. I don't know any of these top three national guys in any weight class, aside from Gable, who it sounds like he's still going to uh, pursue college as, as we speak right now. But I don't know of anybody that stepped aside. I, you know, many, in many, historically speaking, a guy in Burroughs' position, say la vie, he's doing just the opposite. He's changing weight classes. He reset his goals. He's remotivated and got hungry. I think it's great. By the way, in that weight class, I don't know if you mentioned Imar, but I mean Imar is a player as well. Yeah, he's up there in Oregon now, nearby you. What one thing about to your point about the there not being an exodus or a bunch of retirements post Olympics? I think that's evidence of the sport's growth economically. That this is a more of a long term career than than it was in even 2010, 2011. It's just a different thing now and. Uh, I I think there's it's two things. One, the, the competitive desire is still there, and the, these guys are winning and have those goals. But the bottom line is these guys are able to support their families in a way I don't know if it was possible 10 years ago. 
Yeah, the economics of wrestling are very exciting. I don't know them all. I hear some numbers that are thrown out, and I've just been impressed. You've met Calf at Iowa State, but but to hear what they saw just for an assistant, it is very exciting. You know, it's it's a great way. You guys used to have to cling and, and hang around a college program, which training-wise is still has always been and is still the best way to train, but it was hard to do. It was very hard. They come in, now they're tired because they've been working all day. Guys that, guys that can really focus and put some of that effort just into those two practices a day. Because of the sponsorships, USA Wrestling gets some credit. I mean, their stipend yeah. has been upped, but this regional training center gimmick has just been fantastic. Pyle, can we at least agree on this? This right here, this is not the same. It's not the same, but it's close to this. Can we agree? This is very close because this is legal in collegiate wrestling on top. This would be illegal. This would be locked hands. This is close. Not the same thing I acknowledge. Why don't you ever see a gut wrench in collegiate? When a guy's pushed back on his haunches, why doesn't the top guy ever come to the body and roll him and just hold him there? It's never happened in the history of time. And most people will take the easy way out and go, well, it's, it's, his hands aren't locked. Go ahead and lock the goddamn hands. You can't turn a guy from that position. You cannot turn a guy who is pushed back. But in, in freestyle and Greco, we all want to go flat because Dan Gable said so. In 1972, don't go flat, guys. Stop going flat. And stop coaching guys. Stop the guy from getting his lock. Newsflash, everybody gets their lock. My five-year-old son gets a lock on his first day of practice. It might just take him a second. Yeah. Push back, quit going flat. Push back. Yeah, the the lock. You know, I don't know about what the rules are for, uh, for the you know, your, your demonstration here with this, with the hands. Like, I don't know if they can overlap to that degree. but You can come around the body. You just can't touch. In all fairness, this is locked hands right here. If ever yeah. I was to just touch, this is locked hands. If my hands touch, there has yeah. to be a separation. I'm more using that to illustrate the point all the same. Yeah. Those guys aren't trained in stopping tilts and tips, but they can't do it unless they get their elbow and or their wrist caught. See Spencer Lee, for example. It doesn't work. You can't tip a guy when he's pushed back. Not to mention, let's say he goes to a lift. You're now helping him with his lift. But as soon as he steps up to lift, that's when you drop flat. Now you have, say I'm 200 pounds. I now have 200 pounds going against this lock. I force him to reset. And now that I'm flat, okay, great. He's going to drop down to the mat and try to gut wrench me. That's where I push back. Okay, now we're playing this game. So he goes to step up again. Telegraph. That's where I go back flat. If you start flat and you're down there, you don't have anywhere to go. All you have to do is to rotate your body. Why wouldn't I want to use my weight as an advantage? Quit going flat, guys. Just stop. Cut it out. Stop. Just stop with that flat business. Well this said. This is Mark. one of the more out there takes from the show in a while. It's, it's, I'll admit. I don't know that it's out there. You know, I watched some of our guys. I think get it's pretty there. out there. Okay. <laughs> J JD JD's pushing back in his own. It would seem very obvious, particularly when I do bring numbers into it. The number one scoring technique in the Olympic Games, freestyle and Greco, was a gut wrench. Is the gut wrench just some masterful move? No, it's, true it's not. It's silly. <laughs> but that should tell us not to hey, no for sure. gut wrench. It should tell us we need to change the defense of the gut wrench. It seems very obvious. Maybe this is this is how you, you bring about the change, Chael. I don't know. We can hope. All right. Other time, I'm sure we'll get we'll circle back to this because this is this is pressing for sure. 61, Nick Suriano, Vito Dayton, Seth Gross, Tomasello, Joe Colon, Tyler Graf, Nishan Garrett. That's a pretty pretty ridiculous weight. Anyone you're most excited to watch out of that group? 
Well, Joe Cologne, I, I was more just happy to see that he was back. I apologize. Tyler Graff is who I meant to see. Cologne's always a player. Tyler Graff, I was happy to see back. I don't know what happened to Tyler. As a fan, I lost touch over the last year, maybe even two years. I don't believe he was in the many term. I don't think he showed up to the trials. I could no. have that wrong. I don't think he did. You're if right. he did, I never saw his name that I recall. I definitely didn't get to see him wrestle. So just when I looked at that bracket and I saw that Graf was in it, Graf's a problem. Graf can beat an Olympic champion. He can beat anybody in the world. He has finals issues for whatever competitive reason. It, it, you don't call it the finals. You call it an opening round. You call it quarterfinals, semifinals. You're going to have big problems with Graf. You get him in the finals, it, it, it's a different Tyler. That's something he needs to work on. But Graf's a player at all times, and I'm happy to see he's back. Yep. We're Defending world team member at 61. Yeah, he's the last guy to make the team there at 61. He beat Joe Cologne to do that. A lot of young talent, some NCAA-eligible guys with Dayton Vito and Suriano. You know, can I jump in real fast just because you said Joe Cologne? Joe Cologne is one of those guys who I had hoped I didn't get my way, but I had hoped coming out of college was going to go Greco. And I know he even looked at it. I know whether he got in the practice room at the training center, but there was Greco guys that were watching him and thought, oh, my gosh, this is the guy. They got that opinion somewhere. So, so he must have jumped into some workouts, didn't show an interest, never pursued it. We're just going to have to wonder what if. But I do, when, when I look at Greco, like I really like and respect the way that it's ran. I, I respect and like uh, the training and the situation and some of the funding and, and the respect that goes into Greco. It's a DNA issue, right? It's, it's our second and third and sometimes even fourth tier athletes. But if you were to go back and look at the top athletes, which we can clearly identify through the greatest feeder program that USAW has either style, it's called the NCAA. If you were to go back and look historically speaking at any NCAA All-American that went over to Greco, they all have one thing in common, which is they brought home world medals. They don't just make the team. They bring home medals. And we identify every single year the age group's best athletes by eight. Number one through eight, we identify who they are. It's just very hard to get them onto the mat in Greco. I don't know why. But if you were to look at a use 185 pounds right now between Bo Nickel, Valencia, and Mark Hall, those three guys have one thing in common, which is none of them are going to make a team. And the other thing they have in common is all three of those guys would medal in Greco in 2024, if they stopped what they were doing and they focused on it right now, why well, say none of them make a team? One of them might get out. There could be a year Taylor gets hurt, or maybe they hang in there another five years and Taylor retires. I mean, but it's very unlikely, right? I'm using a broad stroke. It's very sure. unlikely. Mark Hall would win the gold medal in 2024. It's like somebody needs to sit him down and go, Mark, let me ask you a question. You got something against being an Olympic champion. Do you think David Taylor's recognition to this world is any different than Rulon Gardner's? I'm just curious. Do, do you think that that's how the community looks at it? Because you're wrong. It doesn't. It's a DNA issue. We just don't have our best athletes. And many of the best athletes are encouraged to not go into Greco. They're told by their own coaches, right? NCAA coaches want a guy yeah. spending his time doing what they feel uh, correlates uh, best to why they brought him in on scholarship, which I understand is freestyle. So we have a problem with the leaders of our community stopping their guys from encouraging. But you look at Zeke Jones. Zeke Jones sent his entire team to the U.S. Open this year, to the COVID Open, but he had them wrestle Greco as well. You look at Nebraska. They sent their entire team out to freestyle, and surprisingly, they also had them wrestle Greco, and that needs to be more encouraged, and Greco needs to incentivize that. Right now, what freestyle will do if you're in the NCAA finals, whether you get first or second, but if you make the finals, you're automatically qualified. You get to go into the mini tournament. Greco needs to do the same thing, except expand it. The top five guys 
You're a division one top five. You go right into the mini tournament and then go from there. Maybe you incentivize it further. If, you, if you're the champion, you go to the semifinals of the mini tournament. I'm getting ahead of myself, but we've got to start incentivizing these things. We've got to talk to these college coaches that tell their own athletes and encourage them to not do it. Or they make the joke and call it half man wrestling. It's all these different things, but you get the guys that do do it. You take any All-American who transferred over to Greco. Not only did they make teams, guys, they brought home medals. It's remarkable. We don't have the right guys. We're even having guys and we're, don't do it. The college season bangs you up. It hurts your knee. It hurts your shoulder. It, shut up. It's the best and it's the tough. You take Adam Kuhn, who never trained Greco, and his last match was in the Junior Nationals, and his last match prior to that was in the Cadet Nationals. You put him through a college season. You put him on the mat. He pins his way to the finals. But we have all sorts of guys who can do that. All the guys that attach to a college program do better, and that's bull styles collegiate wrestling is the ultimate feeder program to usaw if you look at it any differently you're lying to yourself the collegiate guys are the toughest guys they're in the 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 greatest shape they're the only ones that can weaponize pace it's a meaningful difference i i don't disagree with that at all i think one of the biggest obstacles not only is you know the the overall culture of american wrestling is very leg attack centric but also if you are, let's say you are a Mark Hall and you'd say, okay, I want to commit to being a Greco-Roman Olympian and champion. Well, there's only a few places you can even live to do that, right? If you're, if you're actually serious about it, because at the, at the, a lot of these RTCs, it's just, it's freestyle centric, right? So you're so, you're pretty limited in your career options. If you really want to be, you go to Northern Michigan, you can go to the OTC, maybe a, a Cornell uh, was super invested. I'm sure Rob Cole's going to get it going at Stanford uh, as well. But there's not many places where Greco's an actual emphasis at the RTC level. I think that's a big obstacle. I, I want to disagree with you. I, I would just try to remind everybody what it takes to be really good at Greco, which is 15 minutes a day. If you go through a college program, practice ends, you spend 15 minutes. Maybe you go a match, maybe you go two, maybe you go a match and then you play in parterre a little bit. It's enough. There, there's not a ton of stuff to do. They're talking about taking eight and nine-year-old kids in some countries, and that's why they're so much better. They're not very much better. It's mm-hmm. still an arm drag. It's still a slide by. It's still a snap down into a duck under. On top, it's a lift and a gut wrench. Every now and then, it's a reverse lift. There was no front headlock scored. There was no arm bars. There was no half Nelson. So we're starting to identify that it's a very limited group. And the guys that do have medals, particularly the champions, all have one thing in common, which is they went a higher pace than everybody else. You get that pace from a collegiate room you will never get a pace you will never get an athlete that's in shape like a college room in a college pace so i mean i only offer you that i know that i've been removed from the sport for 20 years but the guys that did well were attached to college programs and at the end of practice they would grab a guy or two they would pummel they'd work in their parterre we'd show up to the university nationals we go against the marines and the air force and the army who all they did was greco and we'd kick their asses every time with no training we would come in in shape we were ready to go we understood the sport and then the guys that would show up to university nationals with literally no training and go go win the championship, they spent 10 or 15 minutes after practice working specifically on Greco. But freestyle is not a whole lot different in all fairness. I realize it looks the same. I realize your knees are bent and you've got the leg attacks. But the guys that go the furthest are the ones attached to a college program and they spend 10, 15, 20 minutes after practice each day. 
It's not some complicated science like everybody wants to see. I remember when Henry Cejudo won his gold medal and people at USA Wrestling were going, well, that just proves that we should not be wrestling international style. Or I apologize. We should not be wrestling folk style mm-hmm. and collegiate style. We need to take somebody and fully focus on this. It was an anomaly and it's not true. It just simply isn't true. The best guys are the guys that do what Kyle Snyder did. It's not an age issue. It, there was skill there. There was work ethic there, but he was attached to a college room. He showed up in a better shape than everybody else. The more removed as time goes by that he gets from a college training atmosphere, the more unlikely he becomes to uh, be the champion. That's the only thing uh, training wise that's different. The closer you can be to collegiate and the more you can recognize the NCAA is a feeder program, not only for free stuff, but for Greco-Roman as well, the quicker you can embrace that, the better you can do. This is not rocket science, guys. An arm drag's an arm drag, whether you're in this posture or this posture. You just got to get a little bit used to it. Yeah, I think the the folk-style freestyle narrative, the NCAA as development for for freestyle success debate flares up every world and Olympic championships. And it happened again after these Olympics where, you know, everyone gets in their camp. There's a, there's a large contingent of people that say, just train freestyle, make NCAA wrestling freestyle. And then we'll be way, way better. And Gable doesn't get turned in a gut wrench, et cetera, et cetera. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that's a terrible, terrible? Oh, it's terrible. Not only is that terrible advice, it's historically not true. The U.S. put their best team on the mat, and we've got the medals to prove it, since 1992, which was the true dream dream team of wrestling. So let's just look at right now. Not one of those guys that was on the mat as our representative, as well as they did, or even if they didn't, they didn't even make the team unless they had what college wrestling as a background. We haven't had anybody make the team aside from Henry Cejudo. I got to go back 2008, and Henry did a really great job. Nobody makes a team unless they come through college. And I have no way to prove this. I just have my opinion. But if we did test this, I would prove to be right. And we do have something very close, which is the University National. See, of all of these college kids that don't ever do freestyle or Greco, they're on scholarship, their coaches training, that nobody goes into a training camp for the University Nationals. You just show up to it. But you do have other guys from other programs, whether it's Northern Michigan, all three of the military programs, Olympic Training Center, you do have guys who are specializing. Why don't those guys run away with the medals? Why? DNA. Why do the college kids who don't argument. practice freestyle or Greco show up and win all of the medals? And I really broad stroke. There's some of those army guys are military slipping, and it's twofold. One, collegiate is better. Two, it's a better uh, quality of athlete. It's a much harder life and a harder environment. Freestyle and Greco Roman training is easy in comparison to collegiate training. So if we're just to use the university nationals, it happens to be the only thing that we have where we can just take random guys. I could do it right now. If I had every NCAA champion show up and willing to do Greco, I would have some team members. I don't know which one it would be. I don't know who would do it. If all of them would agree to just enter, one of them would make the team. And if I could get them to commit, they bring home medals. And the closest that we have to me proving my ridiculous point is the university nationals. We have a bunch of guys that don't do anything but collegiate. They show, they beat everybody else. Why becomes the question. Two reasons. It's tougher. They're in better shape. They're a higher quality of athlete. Well, Northern Michigan does win Greco quite a bit. Sure. I understand that they do. I understand. And the military will slip some in as well. I, I fully understand that. But I, I will still stand by my point. If you take Northern Michigan, who does absolutely nothing but Greco, it shouldn't even be close. It shouldn't True. be they do win or they win some. They should win them all. If you're taking on guys, that's all that you do, and these other guys just flirt with it because their coach had them uh, fill out an entry fee and step on a scale, it shouldn't even be close. But for some reason, it is. Why? 
Exactly. Uh, completely agree with you there. Hey, uh, while we're talking NCAA rules and you know folk style, etc., I, I wanted to let you and, and the people listening know this. So we got who's number one coming up in September, September 17th and 18th. We're going to have a women's and a men's card on 17th women's, 18th men's. But special wrinkle, this has not been announced yet, for the men's wrestling component, it's going to be NCAA rules completely. 3-2-2, four-point near fall, out of bounds, danger zone, the whole thing. We're going to have NCAA rules for who's number one this year on the men's side. And that is that was not our idea. It was not David Bray's idea. It was Levi Haynes' idea. M2 wrestler, cadet world teamer. He said, hey, why don't we do, why don't we do NCAA rules? We said, great idea, Levi. So we are. What do you think about that, Chael? I love it. I didn't know that till you just said it. I love it. I think that's fascinating. I think it's the way to go, by the way. And I love that you didn't change the rule. I think there was a there was a little while there, and I don't know if Flo is responsible for it, but they, they were trying to combine the two. It was like a hybrid match. Remember the Lehigh kid and Chris Perry wrestled, but it was like oh, a yeah. nine-minute match. and it, it Just everything got weird. So as long as there's a rule set, I will at least be happy. But I like to hear that it's college rules. That's great. Yeah. High school out-of-bounds rules are atrocious yeah yeah, high school out of bounds is is really rough limits a lot of wrestling so i figured i would uh let you know that one to let people know because we're getting a lot of questions about the rules and uh pretty exciting um any other things you want to talk about on the world team trials front before we before we transition yes i I would like to pick your brain a little bit here on the greco-roman front how do we get the right athletes out how do we get the right dna right and 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 i don't know I'm, i'm i'm stuck here how do we incentivize it? I think starting with letting any All-American into the trials, I think that's a good start. Do yeah. we now have to come up with money? Do we have to start bribing? And who do we give that to? Is it more important to incentivize and give it to the athlete? I don't see it that way. I think somehow we have to give it to the coach or the regional training center. I know that's what they do in other countries. If you're athlete, if you as an athlete win, <clears throat> the tournament pays your coach. But it seems something like that. I mean, the greatest retractors that we have for Greco-Roman wrestling are our college coaches. They suck about it and they won't show their face and they won't say it publicly like little cowards, but they tell their team privately, that's half man wrestling. It doesn't translate. Don't do it. Only do freestyle. It's a very weird concept. If I was the president of a school and I'm paying for you guys to go to university national, I'm paying you to go to the trials. You're going to get as many matches as you can, or I'm not writing the check. It should start there, but for some reason it doesn't. So who do we incentivize? Do we need to go to the coaches? Do we need to go to the athletes? Does wrestling need to do a better job of telling the story? What is it that the right guys aren't coming out? I'm asking. It is. It. I think you're spot on. But it's a, it's the coaches. These wrestlers do. They believe in their coaches, and whatever they say, in general, they will do. We've had we've had coaches talking guys out of twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollar paychecks to go wrestle for free in a tournament a month later. The, those are the conversations. And these guys, they'll do it. They do it, and they do it routinely sure. because coach says this is going to help me win the Worlds or win the Olympics. So if you don't have the coach buy-in, it's a non-starter. You can have all these financial incentives. And the financial incentives do exist. If you win a World or Olympic medal, it is it is a not uh, insignificant sum of money. So it's more than just dangling a carrot. You have to have, you have, to have comprehensive buy-in. And you, you don't have comprehensive buy-in for – wrestlers to wrestle freestyle under the circumstances that the coaches don't want right so it's going to be a whole other challenge uh on the greco-roman front as well um i think i think you have to get the coaches on board i think i think another part of it is greco is just not as 
fun to wrestle like this and train because what is Greco? What is 2021 Greco-Roman wrestling? What is it? It is hand fight well, control center, so you can get put on top, so you can enter the the gut wrench competition portion of the match. That's what it is. Greco is a gut wrench competition at the elite elite levels. You watch Fargo; it's actually fun because there's throws and there's big moves. That the elite elite level, it's it's so nuanced and it's so about the position, so you can get put on top, so you can get the gut right. That's I don't think that's as I think just training parterre that much is just not as appealing to as many guys. Maybe that's wrong. That's my opinion. That's an excellent take on it, Pyle. I mean, I've never heard it said like that, but that's an excellent take on it. I would just think if I were a college coach that if I'm going to send a guy to a tournament, I got to pay for the same hotel. I got to pay for the same flights. The guy's eating the same amount of meals. He needs to get as many matches as he can. And I would just incur, I don't know what bag comes from doing Greco. I, yeah. I, the injury rate isn't up just by example. I don't know. When you go out there, you're a little scared to do something. You're not familiar with it. Now you're overcoming some of those fears, some of those competition and, and uh, apprehensions. You're warming up in the back. You're pulling the straps up. I mean, I just see all of these positives happening. A guy comes off the mat. He's covered in sweat. His heart's pounding out of his chest. These just all seem like positives. And for some reason, I do agree, we don't have the college coaches encouraging it. And if you don't want to go to a specific Greco tournament or you don't think it's worth the money and you have different ways to justify it, I, I'm left without much of an argument. My problem is when the guy's already there, when you fly a guy out to the university nationals, but you only have him enter one style, it's it just conceptually, it's very baffling for me. You you fly a guy to any tournament, they're they're offering Greco and your guy doesn't get onto the mat. It's it's very baffling to me. And I just think Greco needs to first start to deal with that. I'm identifying the problem. I fully admit I don't have an answer to the solution. But that's where we need uh, to look and start with, you know, first. I watched Jaden Cox. I'll just give you an example. But I was at Olympic training camp. I watched Jaden Cox go with our Greco guys. I videoed it. I've never let that video see the light of day because it would have embarrassed our Greco guys so bad who we were trying to build up. I don't know if Jaden having a background in it. I don't know that he pops in and trains regularly. I'm not sure that he didn't just shake hands and do it that day. But I can tell you that Jaden Cox would have been our representative in two different weight classes had he gone out for the Greco team. I wonder how many other guys that's true about. And, and Jaden, in all fairness, didn't wrestle Greco very well. He couldn't get his hips in. He didn't get underhooks. He didn't dig. He didn't play. He didn't do a lot of things right. He still would have been our representative in two different weight classes. So it, it's one of those things where you just have a higher caliber of athletes and we need to incentivize them. And, I, and I, you can meet me halfway. I'm not always going to get my way. But I think I do make a very fair point when somebody's writing the check for these athletes to get to tournaments and they sit in the stands when Greco's going on. For me, that's weird. Let's go. Um, no, no opposition there. We'd love to see it. And I agree that, you know, if we had better athletes participating, more athletes participating in Greco, it would be better. I don't necessarily share your sentiment that – USA wrestlers who are in college who just enter Greco tournaments all of a sudden will have international success. I think it, there's a big jump to the international stage. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we've got we've got questions. You know you know the segment. Um, I want to get to those because there's some good ones. There's some ones that are specific for for you, and uh, so I wanted to ask those um, from Hunter Carpenter. How does Chael think that Gable is going to transition to MMA if he decides to? What does that look like? 
It would be very quick, right? Uh, I get locked in when I started with the sport, which was in 1993, when if you were a better wrestler than the guy, you were going to beat him in a fight. That is no longer true. That quit being true right around 2003 or 2004. I have been surprised that certain wrestlers, Kerry Kolak comes to mind. Um, uh, well, Larkin, who we discussed earlier, comes to mind. There's been certain wrestlers that are absolutely great that just didn't make the transition. Steve Mako at heavyweight. But then you start to look at why did Mako not make it? And his size ended up working against him. One of the great things in wrestling is Mako was a really big man. One of the bad things in fighting for Mako is he was a really big man. So mm-hmm. I personally believe that Gable is quick enough and athletic enough that it his size wouldn't be a problem. I think that he could impose himself, get top position, not try to play some of that guard and, and back stuff, use his strengths. I think Gable would be the fastest transitioner ever. I think within six to 12 months, he could be making a dent and making an impact. I don't predict that that's going to happen. I think that's a much harder life than the one that he's looking for. I think that he's already put it on the line enough. I think he, he's beat his body up enough that maybe, uh, you know, taking the entertainment aspect, which has more longevity and legs to it, would be better than doing this experiment. But I think Gable, as being the Olympic champion, automatically should be viewed as one of the top, toughest guys on earth. Yeah, no question. Are there uh, other wrestlers that are going to make the transition or are currently making the transition that you're particularly high on? I mean, Bo Nichols, a guy that that has been speculated he's going to be make he is going to be making the move to, to MMA. Just in general, are there guys that are on your radar? Well, and we'll see, right? We'll see where Nickel goes. If he comes into this with just a competitive standpoint, I work really hard and I'm going to go out to, and, and compete. He's going to fall on his face and he's going to be broke. If, if he can understand the entertainment aspect of it, if he can understand what it takes to get the opportunity so that you can make a career out of it, I would always bet on Bo Nickel. I think he would do absolutely fantastic. But if he's dipping one toe in wrestling and one toe in MMA, again, there was a time you could do that. But that that year is long gone. It's gone by almost two decades now. So he's going to have to make a real commitment and get himself an environment. Let's see where that goes with Nickel. Kyle Dake has talked about doing some MMA, and he's even trained a little bit of it. I mean, I, I've seen him out, like, throwing kicks and practicing. I see him warm up, shadow boxing. It's one of those things that I, I, I would pick Dake to do very well at anything that he did, but I have a feeling he's remotivated, rejuvenated, and that's going to be put on hold. I, th- I think that, that I don't think Kyle Dake is going to leave this sport with giving, giving his last breath to winning that gold medal. That's just a guess. But all wrestlers that go over to it certainly have a leg up. Most of them... Uh, don't have the intellect going in to know this is its own sport. you got to be fully committed to it and then getting opportunities in the sport. It's not just showing up and having more points than the other guy when time runs out. That's wrestling. MMA, there's an entertainment arm to it. And if you, you, you there's things that you have to do to get on people's radar and not just be another one of the guys. In wrestling, you can be another one of the guys. Enter the tournament, your fee is $25, have an active USA card just like everybody else. It's not that. This is a sport. There's a lot more politics in it. They have somebody under them that can manage them and guide them. They're going to have good luck. So how, how, what percentage or, or do you think that's a big obstacle for wrestlers in general, playing the game, playing up the, the persona, be, making yourself not just a good fighter but someone who's entertaining? Um, because the core values of wrestling are that, hey, we're, you're humble, you're hardworking, head down and work. Uh, do you see that as an obstacle for, for some wrestlers making the transition? Obviously, that was not the case for Chael Sonnen. 
Well, it was for a while, though, right? I mean, it was for a while. I don't come to you with, oh, I've got all of this knowledge. I, I come to you with, I made a whole bunch of mistakes and I wasted a whole bunch of time. Um, yes, I do, I do think it's a problem. We got a guy in MMA right now who does a fantastic job. He, he's as tough as anyone. His name's Logan Storley. Mm-hmm. Now, Logan Storley's wrestling career and MMA career are the cure for insomnia. You could take an Ambien or you could watch Logan Storley. Either way will put you to sleep. But he's a fantastic guy who I want to see good things happen for. I want to see Logan succeed and do really well. I caught a podcast with him about a month ago. He was on with Ryan Warner doing Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. And Storley couldn't have been a funner guy. He was great. He was telling stories from his little small town that he grew up in. He was talking about how we got into wrestling. I'm, I'm listening to this guy. I'm going, man, this guy is captivated and interesting. When the podcast ended, I was disappointed. I wanted to hear more from him. But if I turn on Bellator to watch him, I can't get two words. He comes in from a respect standpoint. He shakes hands before it happens. He shakes hands when it ends. You walk away with the result. It's just I would offer that you need to have a little bit more than that. Where Aaron Pico's at right now. I've, nobody's ever coming with the fire of Pico. He debuted on television in Madison Square Garden. We got all these years later, and if Aaron Pico called you on the phone right now and you're a fight fan, you'd have to say, who's this? You wouldn't recognize the voice. You should recognize the voice. He should be out there. He should be talking. You should know exactly who he is. But he comes in from, uh, well, I just want to have more points than you when time runs out. Very good. You might or you might not. I don't know about the points, but I guarantee you the time part, and eventually it will run out. Maximize it. Yeah. What do you think about, I mean, uh, a couple of years in, now, Aaron Pico is basically an uh, MMA veteran, which is crazy because he's still so young. What do you think about his career prospects? Can he be, be someone that rises to the, to the highest ranks of MMA? Definitely. Aaron Pico is fantastic. Even the nights where he got beat, I believe he's lost three matches now. He's mm-hmm. like nine and three, something along these lines. But even those three guys that beat him, he could beat all of those guys. He could have beat him at that night. There was happenstance and there was stuff that happened. That, that sport, it comes and goes. But Pico has never fully embraced or even recognized that we're in the entertainment era, right? You've got to be entertaining. You have, you're directly in your paycheck is directly related to how many followers you have on social media. And if you don't like that, go ahead and don't, but you're not going to like how this story ends for you either. And when it's all done and you look back, you know, what, why didn't I build a voice or a persona or get a mandate or get the masses behind me? And he might make it all the way, uh, to a title fight. If, if Pico can get a title fight, I believe he can get the title. I've never picked against Pico, and I can't see a time where I would. And I know how hard he works and all the great things that his coaches and teammates say about him. Like this guy's reputation as a gentleman, not just an athlete, but they're huge. But he's never understood the other side of it. And I don't know why. Gable would get around a lot of that. Gable would be handed an opportunity right off the bat. But so was Pico. Like I said, he debuted on pay-per-view on a main card at Madison Square Garden. It doesn't get much bigger than that. Now, what are you going to do with it? I've seen people in wrestling. We had some gal, and she was going to go on to be the the world's biggest announcer. She was going to do all of these things. I remember talking with Jason Bryant. I said, none of those things are good if she's not good at announcing. Oh, yes, it is. She's got all these world titles, and she's got an Olympic medal. Jason, that will get her the interview. That will not get her the job. And Nancy Schultz had to explain that to Kurt Angle. That's where I got that whole thing from. Nancy Schultz explained this to Kurt. That gold medal will get you in the door. It's not going to keep you there. And Kurt had to figure that out and did. Kurt found it out very well. But if Kurt was sitting in my chair, he'd be telling you the same thing. I can use that medal to open a door, not to get the corner office. 
So it's just one of those things, right? All of life is like, you got to put stuff, you got to put stuff, you got to use these opportunities, but you cannot expect that because you have a medal from some event that we all love, but most of the world did not watch to the point that the IOC who's putting it on just as soon have you not even exist anymore. The quicker that you can realize and recognize that, the better you can do at making sure you work within those rules and manipulate them into your favor. Who in wrestling do you think does the best job of this in wrestling of the promotion of, you know, not just winning, but also driving the numbers and making people excited? Ferrari, and he's getting met with resistance every step of the way. In all fairness, his own coach is telling him to stay off of social media, to not do those things, to not talk that way. It's terrible advice. Ferrari needs to keep doing what he's doing, keep taking his shirt off, keep making an ass out of himself, keep on winning matches. I think that Gable wants to do a good job. Gable will come out and tell you that he's an entertainer. Sadly, he is not. He wants to be an entertainer. He's got it inside of him. He's learned the word entertainer. So first step is down. He's not an entertainer. Gable's not overly fun to watch. He's a great guy to cheer for because if you can attach yourself to him, you're going to win a whole bunch of matches. You watch a flip at the end of the match. Okay, great. His interviews suck, but he knows the word at least. He's saying, I'm an entertainer. No, you're not. No, you're not. But if you know that you need to be, you're already step of everybody else. Ben Askren in 2008 going to put the chin in China and then people showing up with crazy hairdos and you know posters with the big chin is the single best marketing that wrestling's ever had. Sadly, he started that post-college career, made the Olympic team right away and was done as soon as those games were over. So, I mean, I only bring that to you because the marketing wrestling is very simple. You got Mr. Fast Twitch who calls himself Mr. Fast Ticks and then he talks about how much he can deadlift. That's not great entertainment in a normal world but it's number one entertainment in our world. The only thing that Mr. Fatch switch did is he came out and he said, it. he talked about the deadlift, right? If everybody did that, I see where that's going to be dull, but you also see the opportunity here. You also see how simple that is. I know a guy, I'm going to keep his name out of it, but he got interviewed by Quinn Kesnick on ESPN and he wanted to have a big drop the mic moment. He said his two or three words, drop the mic and walked off and he thought it was great. It's like, whoa, drop the mic moments are great when you have a mic all of the time. When this is your one and only microphone you've had put in your face, maximize that and use it. Vince McMahon used to give The Rock three minutes. You have three minutes. We're on live TV. I got to go to commercial. I got to get to the next segment. Vince, The Rock would double cross him all the time. And when he came through the back, he would tell the producer, if it's good, they're not going to cut it. And he's right. You got to go into business for yourself sometimes. Forget what the script says. Sometimes you got to go off script. And in the world of wrestling, when the biggest star we have is a guy that takes his T-shirt off on Instagram and talks about his fast twitch muscles, you should see that as an opportunity. Apparently, it doesn't take a lot in this sport. You're right. And that is a true, that is very true because it, it sticks out like a sore thumb when, when, when AJ does these things. Right. And I, I will say that it, for his behavior would be unique for a lot of sports. It's not something you're seeing in, in, in basketball or even football or, or MMA. He is a, he is a, certainly a, a unique personality. And um, listen, he, he makes people want to tune in. He makes me want to tune in just to see what's he going to do. After he wins or after he loses, if he loses, what's what's going to be – how's AJ going to carry it? Um, so I'm with you. I think he is probably the A number one. Either watching to watch him win or watching to watch him lose, but either way, you're watching. 
Yeah. Yeah, and he's yeah. fantastically entertaining. I mean, and when he doesn't do it, you feel the big letdown. Like, he didn't do it post-NCAA match. But, you know, I got to blame ESPN for that, too. You have one interview of this whole night that anybody gives a damn to hear. You set interviews aside for a 30-second window. Knowing that you have A.J. Ferrari and knowing that he's the only guy anybody wants to hear from, the producer in the truck didn't think he should make that one guy's interview 90 seconds instead of 30, and they're trying to rush him out like he's everybody else. He's not everybody else. We do want to hear about the deadlifts. We do want to hear about his uh, two brothers who were coming up uh, through the high school system and how his father got him into this. We want to hear these things. And if we have an athlete who's willing to give it and we're armed with that ahead of time, he doesn't get the same 30 seconds that the 41-pounder got. So I blame everybody. Everybody's at fault here for, for killing any excitement or enthusiasm we have in wrestling. And inside scoop, AJ's own coaches in Stillwater are trying to get him to stop from doing that as though they have something against selling tickets. You can't turn anywhere in wrestling and have anybody support it, right? The Greco guys don't want you doing freestyle. The freestyle guys don't want you doing uh, Greco. The collegiate guys don't understand that both styles are good. Like nobody in this sport can shut up, stay out of the way and just let people build this sport. You have flow that wants to come in and get the rights to your event. Well, you want to charge flow a whole bunch of money because you heard that they're doing really well. How about you just let flow come and give your guys some exposure? How about you find a way to use that exposure to get more people to come to your event and monetize it that way. Instead of asking Mark for a check everywhere you go. I mean, there's just all sorts of things we go in wrestling. I go to the mat.com. I could throw a blindly go print off 30 mat.com articles blindly. I will throw a dart. I will grab that one and I will read you five different spelling errors, five different typos. They still continue to call Kyle Snyder a two-time NCAA champion, which is true, except why don't you call him a three-time NCAA champion since he did go ahead and win the third one. And this is our governing body. It's shocking. Nobody in wrestling will get the hell out of the way of wrestling. Well, I, th- I think it's one to, to maybe spin your, your perspective positively. I think, I think you're right in that wrestling actually on its own can do a good job of selling itself. The product is actually really good. You, you look at what UWW has done from 2013. They're out of the games. It's dark, bad leadership, big problems. To now, they, you look at their just their social media presence and their their media. They they became professionalized really quick, and they didn't do anything super fancy or something that's like mind blowing. It's like no, they just kept wrestling at, as the centerpiece, and they t- they hit the right storylines. They presented it in a professional, cool way. And look, boom, our governing body, which didn't have an Instagram page six years ago, now. Yeah, seven hundred thousand followers, huge YouTube channel. They did made some little kind of no brainer decisions and just let wrestling do the work. And uh, I think that's a, that's a good tribute. And I think sort of in the vein of what you're saying, I'm trying to spin it a little more positively because I do think wrestling has so much going for it. No, I understand. I'm saying a lot of the things that you wish that you could say. You're secretly glad that I'm saying them, but it's hard for you to co-sign them. I I understand it completely. I I won't call you out on that, but it it really is a reality. Our national governing, but who I love, I love them. I'm a card carrier right now. Active card carry member of USAW. I have not stepped on the mat in a number of years. I have an active Federation card at all times. That's my buy-in. That's how I support it. And the Federation card was $1,200 instead of $35. I would still buy it as my way of showing support. But when I go to their Twitter feeds at the World Games or the Olympic Championships, there will be hours of absolute dead air. And I will even DM them and beg them. I will tell them the scenario. Guys, it's 3 a.m. where I am. 
There's a few of us that are up around the country, but we need some kind of info. Are the Russians there? Have the Americans arrived? What music are they playing? Is the arena cold? Are they cleaning the mats? I'll take anything. I'm starved for something. And it happens to be three in the morning. Could you please give us something? They held that against me. They thought that I was rude for doing that. I was making videos for them, Pyle, as part of the Olympic process. I love USA Wrestling. I love them but I'm trying to help to make them better. I was making videos and bringing it to them. I was in my beautiful studio. I was giving breakdowns. I was telling stories. In all fairness, if you were to go and sub that out and have somebody like me do it, who's willing to use his power in his social media, you're going to probably pay anywhere between ten dollars to $15,000 for that clip. I made yeah. them on a weekly basis and sent to them. I got a call from Rich Bender, which meant a lot to me. I look up, I admire, I'm grateful to Rich Bender and his leadership. So this was a big deal. I made seven of them. They aired two of them. I don't know where the other five are. I sent them off. I had acknowledge of receipt. They never posted them. Now, this isn't just about Chael, but I'm a pretty good storyteller. And the doors that Chael can open are probably ones that you guys would like open to take the work and the content I did that's recognized by the executive director to the point he took time out of his day to call and thank me. And then they don't air. They don't exist. I have five pieces that do not exist. So I finally spoke up and I said, hey, guys, am I doing something wrong? I submitted a piece three days ago and it hasn't gone out. I didn't mention the other four that you also burned. So they put it out that day. They put it out on their YouTube page where they dropped 210 videos in one day. Now, I am what you would call a success on YouTube. I have a million followers. Google sends you an award and you get a plaque when you get to a million followers. It's a big deal. I've never loaded 210 videos in my life. I've never heard of anybody loading 210 videos in one day. There happened to be a tournament going on in case you're wondering how this happened. So they did round one, round two, round three, the next match. one. Two. They loaded 210 videos and threw old Chael in there. The minimum I've ever done in YouTube, my all-time biggest bomb of my life is 11,000 views. I did 14 views on USA Wrestling. Why? Because they put out 210 videos in one day. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, say well, say well. You don't have to get into the politics of this. I'm not looking to get into it either. I like those guys. They could call me right now and ask me for a favor. But to act as though you have a sport, you have guys who are guaranteed to show up, by the way, in uniform. By the way, you're not paying them to come. To have all of these different things that every other sports franchise in the world that is worth billions of dollars does not have. You cannot assure that those guys are going to show up. They're damn sure not going to pay you to come. You're going to have to pay them to get all of the organizations. Somebody else takes care of the flights. Somebody else takes care of the hotel. You're guaranteed to have this and not know how to maximize that. It's shocking to me. And I'm not looking for personnel changes. I don't want anyone over there to lose their job. I do want somebody to look at that and realize, man, this is exciting. This is a rare opportunity that you have right here. There's no other sport in a governing body standpoint that is guaranteed to have athletes on certain days in matching uniforms show up and follow rules. It's something very special. It would also be something easy to manipulate and use. But there's nobody over there that's doing it. They don't even know that Kyle Schneider won three championships. They think it's two. They don't realize that when the uh, world championships are on at three and four in the morning, that you've got to entertain the fans and you only have one way to do it, which is social media. That is mind blowing to me. It's shocking. I, uh... And I'll tell you why they didn't put my five. You want to know my five videos got burned? Yeah, do you have a theory? Because someone over there saw the, the attention that Chael was getting towards wrestling. It was a personal vendetta against Chael. I understand the whole thing, but I don't need you. Why would they I have a vendetta story, against you? I could make the story about Kyle Schneider and Jaden Cox, one of the great stories in all of wrestling, the mere fact what happened at the trials and Cox missed weight. And he started to fight it, and the story came out, and it changed, and so he quickly pulled. 
I could tell that story and put it on my own channels. I don't need you. I did it for you to help you. I didn't put it on my own channels. I didn't air it anywhere. I gave it to you and I dropped it in your lap. You buried me with 210 releases on YouTube in one day. It's a mistake, pile. You got to play the algorithm game on YouTube. I, I would like to see those videos, Chael. We throw them up. Maybe it's too late. Now. I pre well. Here, I'll, t I'll tell you a quick funny story because Flo stole it from the mat.com and Flo did post it. It was Flo's lead story. One of these videos I'm talking about, the mat.com burned five of them. I don't know where they are. I don't know to this day where they are. And the only reason the second one saw light of day is because I followed up on it. I don't have any idea. By the way, this isn't Chael against wrestling. I love wrestling. I'm just pointing out if you have a governing body and you think that Kyle is a two-time national champion and not three, if you don't just know that right off the top of your head, if you can't spell an article correctly, if you don't understand on YouTube, nobody with the sense that God gave geese would put up 210 videos in one day. If you don't understand these things, you got to go find something else to do. All right. There's no, there's no simple transition from that. Um, but... We'll upload any videos you want to YouTube, Chael. I can, that's the guarantee. But you've got your own channel. A million, congrats on that. I'm surprised we don't see the plaque hanging under the Mean Street Coffee sign. You would think you would have that, right? It happens to be in Dana Point, California, as a matter of fact. It's at the producer Ryan's house. But yes, the plaque does exist. You get two awards over there. You get one when you pass 100,000. And you get one uh, at a million, I think. I don't think there's any other awards. I think, I, th I think that's where that is. I think you're right. Gra Flow Grappling has a hundred thousand. They've got the the plaque from YouTube. So, dare to dream. We hit a million on Flow Wrestling and Flow Grappling at some point in time. Um, maybe time for one more question before we let you go. You've been very courteous with your time. We're very very appreciative of that, Shale. I have uh, knowledge to impart on you. And by the way, you're playing you're playing the role perfectly. Nobody's gonna call you Pile. All right, they're all gonna go, hey, Pile. He was a good little soldier. Really, you're doing every you're doing everything right. I'll do the heavy lifting. You just keep asking the questions. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's there's some navigating I have to do. I'm not. You I'm do not, understand that, and no, you do understand though. In all fairness, there's no form of contact where having your chin, your dick, and your knees on the mat is advantageous. But we do continue to do it. I mean, not for nothing. That's food for thought. If I had you here, I would show you. I'd let you get on top of me, try to gut wrench, and then I would do gut wrench defense the way that it should be done, which is where you push back. You go, what? Shale's really onto something here. I'm just trying to prove the point that in no form of contact, right? Why would I ever send my kid to a combat practice? In this case, wrestling. If the coach is teaching him to lay flat on the mat like a board that just got stomped, it just doesn't make sense. In no form of combat does it make sense. There's no position in wrestling that is the same today as it was in 1992. Time out. Hold that thought. There is one, which is parterre. That deserves review. And if somebody was to review what I'm saying just on the merits of, yeah, he makes a good point. We have changed absolutely everything in this sport except that position. Let's play with some other stuff. If you did that and then came to the conclusion, you know what? This is still the best. I'll be quiet. I'll have got my way. But you should review it. You should review, is it best to just lay there? Is it best to just stay there? Why does a guy in collegiate wrestling absolutely never, ever get gut wrenched? And if you come to the answer because you can't lock your hands, you're a, bit, a little bit lazy. There's more to it, which is you can't gut wrench a guy who's in a referee's position. That's the answer. You also don't hold somebody on their back with a gut wrench. You expose them briefly for a second. Yeah. Well, you tilt them. Maybe you Spencer Lee, who does something for, you know, I not realize he's got the wrist and an elbow, but he tips a guy up and, and he holds them there. And in wrestling, guys, uh, guys have done it too. I mean, I'll just remind you, when you used to have the near far rule, guys weren't gut wrenching and taking you through. They were tipping you, holding you for the five count, letting you come back and tipping you again. Like for sure to hold somebody in a position of control, 
uh, is very possible. It just, you can't do it when they're back on their haunches. You need them to play along. You need them to go flat and let you go to work. And I'm saying, why would we cooperate? Let's, let's double cross the system. Final question. Um, for me, uh, you know, you, you have some kids. Are they in wrestling? How did you introduce them into wrestling, if so? And, and how has that experience been for you as a as a father with, with a kid in the So, sport? no. So, and I got to be really careful. I don't I don't want to be the dad that does that. I want I, I want to encourage once they get into something, which mm-hmm. I secretly hope is wrestling, then I, then, then I encourage it. But I'm just a chauffeur. I just get wherever they want to go. I just get them there. That's my job, and I keep my mouth shut. Now, that's very easy said. It's harder to do. But I've been successful so far. My son's only six. So my basically short-term strategy, he's in gymnastics. He goes to gymnastics twice a week, and he's been doing that for a couple of years, learning strength, balance, mostly body control. Then I take him to practice, but he has to stay in the corner. He brings a little Hulk with him, and he plays in the corner. He double-crosses me every day. He comes on the mat. He gets in everybody's way, but he's supposed to stay in the corner. He doesn't get a dress down, or he doesn't get to do the practice. He just looks up to the, the bigger kids, and the bigger kids, I'm really thankful, are very sweet to him. But I won't let him on the mat. And my hope is that he'll beg me. Eventually, he'll beg me. And he's already starting to ask me to. But I don't want him to ask me. I want him to beg me to wrestle. And I think, and this is from my own experience as a coach, nine years old is the spot. And I could live with eight. I could live with 10. But right in that, right around fourth grade, that's the spot where the kid's old enough to pay attention. He's old enough to try. I don't need my kid to win but I do need him to try to win. And I've seen that right at, right at that nine years old, that end of third grade, right at the very beginning of fourth. Any of it is daycare. We run a five-year-old program, six-year-old program. It's daycare. Yeah. And uh, I don't, I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy coaching those classes. I don't enjoy seeing it. I'm not sure what good habits are being formed. I'd rather clear out the, the coffee table and just get on the floor for five or six minutes a day working on a half Nelson or working on what a single leg is. I think that's more uh, advantageous for somebody at his age. I think you're on the right track. I tell you what we won't be working on. We won't be working laying on flat on your mat where a referee in MMA would stop it and call it a TKO, where a referee in the NCAA would call it stalling. We won't be working on that. We will get the hell up and turn and face the guy. Listen, if I have anything to say about it, your your message will be out there. People will know there's major issues with our with our parterre defense. And Pyle, you know necessary. that embarrasses me. You know it embarrasses me when you're always telling people, when you're like, this is the king of the universities. He was in the final six times. He won it three times. He was outstanding wrestler in 2001. He would wrestle freestyle and Greco and go to the finals in the same weekend. He should have beaten Damian Hahn and the referee screwed him and gave him two points on a front headlock or he'd have been a double champion. It embarrasses me when you're always bringing that up or you're talking about, you know, he beat this guy who went on to be an Olympian. You're all, you're always doing that to me. And I, I I know you're doing it to be nice, but you you don't have to. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but King King of the universities and stuff like that. Like, you know, that, that embarrasses me. I appreciate it, but that's what they called you. That's what they called you. So I just feel like that should be King of the universities. That's true. They even made a t-shirt say King of the universities and had my face on it. But for you to bring that up, I know, right. It just, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's, it's, you bring it up when you're not on the show, but right there in front of you. What? Because what are you supposed sure. to say to that? Are you supposed to talk about the time you got the OW? I mean, just are you? You know, I've never been turned in live competition. Are you aware of that? I I have I am aware of that. I have heard that. Um, there, I don't know there, if I I I'm aware of it yet. I don't know if I I can possibly believe that you've never been turned in live. It's a true aside from one exception. So university right. nationals, which you continue to bring up my success at the universities. I, I wish you'd stop. I will university nationals, semifinals. 
I run into a guy who never should have been in the weight class. And it's a young man named Brandon Slay. But Brandon, little Brandon, came up from 163 pounds. He never should have been at 185 with guys of my stature. So I got to wrestle him in the semifinals. He gets me down. Shocking. Shocking. He somehow ends up in the takedown. He gut-wrenched me, pile, until however many times you can turn a guy and the ref stops the match. So I've never been turned in my life before or after. He turned me five times. Wow. He almost broke all of my, he crushed me so tight. I can still feel that pain. And I left the mat like a gentleman. I shook hands. I walked away and I went and sat in the stands and I was pulling on my, I was so frustrated. I was pulling on my singlet. That's all I could do. To, and, I, and I shredded it. Now I'm sitting there on a jock strap, by the way, this is before the brief. So my ass is out. I got shoes on in my butt and I was throwing the singlet. I was throwing it like this. And a kid went and got it. A kid named Mike Getlin saw my little pity party, got the singlet and shreds and gave it to me like 15 years later. He goes, hey, do you recognize this? No. He goes, this is what you did after Brandon Slay turned you five times. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. Say no more. Shale little Sonic. Brandon. Little Brandon comes up to the real men's weight class. It turns Horrible. out little Brandon had a good gut wrench. So, you, so I guess the obvious um, conclusion there is you did not push back on that. You, were you, were you I didn't push back. That's right. That's right, pile. I laid flat. I laid flat because I thought that was going to be his only little 63 pounder. I thought that'd be his only takedown. I'd get up and get those points back. That's right. I laid flat. Gut wrench me. Never again. Never again. Jail, you got to come back. We appreciate your time so much. You guys don't myth. even mean it. You know what I don't mean? You've been nothing but rude to me since I got here. You asked me a couple of questions. You made me do all the hefty lifting. James Dean only weighed in one time to tell me that Northern Michigan actually did win. <laughs> you guys have done nothing for me. I've had it with you both. Goodbye. Goodbye, Chael. He's gone. Just just as quick as he came, Chael P. Sonnen has left the building. We thank him nonetheless. Yes, we were rude. Uh, no apologies. But thanks to Chael. Thanks to you for listening. That was fun. It's always fun. Tune into the beta show today, 11.30 Eastern time. It's uh, Mike Gray and the rest of the Cornell stuff. All of Cornell. All right, awesome. Thanks so much. See you tomorrow. No show Thursday. Sorry. I'm going. I'll tell you tomorrow. Have a good, have a good Tuesday. See ya.